Come on, let's clap our hands to the Lord this morning. I wish I could get somebody just to praise God for just a moment. Will you do that? Come on, lift your voice to Him. Come on, let's let the city know we fix to have church in here. Right? It, that'd be all right, right? Good. Praise God. Thank you so much. What a great host and, and what a great praise team. Thank you for bringing us to this moment. I have worked in meetings and in churches and places where by the time we got to this moment, I'm looking heavenward saying, now what do we do? And uh, what, what a great job. What a great blessing. God has blessed you. give honor this morning to Bishop and Sister Bullard, and uh, I call them Bishop, Sister Enos, uh, whatever you call them. We love them. Thank God for them. And of course, uh, your pastor, my friend, Brother Joel Urshan, and his family, give honor to them. And uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. There's part of family right there, right? So I, I'm, I'm trying to look here. I was watching the young people while y'all were singing that old song. And, and, and you see the look on their face like, hurry this thing up, you know, <laughs> praise God. But we got a lot of great friends here today and so appreciate your pastor, uh, not only his friendship, but his vision and, and the ability for us to gather together the body of Christ. Folk, when it is said and done, individual buildings do not count and God will ask nothing of them. The church, if it could ever be contained to a building, is not the church. We are the body of Christ. And the fact that we stand together in unity makes a statement that hell can't handle. And what a blessing it is for us to gather together. I do understand the necessity of local churches, discipleship, teaching, training, camaraderie fellowship there is an importance in that but when it's all said and done that we gather together before the throne of God we are going to answer according to his name amen and what a blessing that will be and what what a great expectation there is in the atmosphere in this city today because of what is going on I'm happy to report that this year we have added a few more churches, apostolic churches from here in the greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area. People that God has connected us to over the last several months. So we're going to have to get a convention center here before it's all said and done, before the rapture takes place because God is drawing them in. So tonight you'll get to meet uh, some other precious brothers and sisters and it is going to be an absolutely awesome time. You'll want to get there uh, as quickly as you can to get a good seat and uh, make sure that you get a good parking area. We've got a couple few acres there. I don't want you to have to walk too far to make it to the house of the Lord. I want your energy to be ready for when we get in the house of the Lord. It's going to be a great time tonight, and we're so excited about that. I am thankful as well to have my wife with me this morning. She doesn't usually get to travel with me, but she decided because of the mileage that, that uh, she would accommodate this morning, and I'm thankful for that. I love her and uh, thankful to have my family with me this morning as well. I have come to minister, and, and I know you're used to that. And I, when we sat down and said, hey, what, what do we do uh, when we minister at one another's churches is there something certain that we need to do and the Holy Ghost said yes minister to my people and and what a privilege what an atmosphere brother Duvall what what an atmosphere there is for the word of the Lord today I, I don't want the Lord to pass me by do you will you lift your hands and let's pray father today your word and your power 
that it would become us, that it would overwhelm us, that you would give us a heart to receive your word, a mind to comprehend it, Lord, that you would overwhelm us, that you would erase our fears, our failures, and God, that your mighty, masterful hand would sweep over this house today. Let the anointing come easy. Let the anointing come clearly. God, touch thy servant and touch my brothers as we minister across this city today. Let the anointing of your presence be real, tangible. Let it change us today. With every hand lifted into the atmosphere. Lift your voice to the Lord. Come on, lift your voice. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. know that let's just pray that over this whole city if you know that chorus sing I'm calling on you Savior oh Savior hear my our prayer today. Do not pass me by. One more time, church thing. I'm calling on you. Amen. I turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't know how long, brother, Pastor Urshan preaches, typically. Uh, But man, I'm going to try to land this plane in a a relatively short amount of time. Uh, 
I think I can get it done in an hour and 45 minutes. Or 25, let's see what we can, what we can do. I'm thankful to have my help from the house, Brother Will Sampson, been a great friend of mine for a few years now, and glad to have him, Sister Adrena. She's there, she's third row, Hyden, I love you. And uh, thankful to have you with us in the house of the Lord. First Corinthians chapter one, verse number 26. But you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But, or however, God has chosen the foolish, which is why I'm able to be here this morning. God has chosen the foolish of this world to put to shame the wise, God has chosen the weak. Tell your neighbor, that's why you're here this morning. He has chosen the weak of this world to put to shame the things which are, or in modern terms, appear to be mighty. He has chosen the base things of this world, the things which are despised. God has rather chosen them, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But you are of him. You are in Jesus Christ, who has become wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, it can be said, let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Contrary winds. Now, this world around us has some qualification standards. That the church, the apostolic church has been swallowed up in over the last several years. Corporately, nationally, in North America, the apostolic church in some regions and areas, unfortunately, has been swallowed up in trying to keep up with qualification standards. And in doing so, we can forget who we are or become who He intended. I choose today that God is working an absolute miracle in this church and that He is working an absolute miracle in the lives of those of us that have gathered together. And I'd like to preach for just a few moments a subject entitled, Contrary wins will you give God praise and let hell know we're fixing to have church this morning sit down if you'd like to for a moment anyway there is a hunger and you can sense it for the greatness and the power of God and what God is doing in our churches across this region is not something that is local. It is something that is happening everywhere. He has chosen to start something here. We have chosen to respond. I thank God for it. We are in strange times. We are in changing times. We are in liminal times, if you please. And growth and transition can be scary. It can be fearful and it can be unpredictable. But I don't want the church, I don't want you to get lost in the process. Tell your neighbor, God is up to something. God is anointing his church, but before there is a corporate anointing, there must be an individual anointing. That individual anointing will determine exactly the power and the gravity of what God is fixing to do in this building, in your families, in this community, and in this region. Let me tell you that when God anointed a little boy named David, the first anointing was a private and a painful process. It was a painful process. There were battles that ensued. There was opposition. There were lions. There were bears. There were family members. There was intimidation. It was a private process. But he was being anointed nonetheless. You read David's account of what God did in him. And he refers to himself as the Lord's anointed even when he's out in the field and there's bears coming against him. 
see, I can still maintain anointing and be going through a conflict. As a matter of fact, most anointings are developed through conflict. Y'all plan on being a powerful church? Or do you just want to be a place where people come hang out on the weekend? Do you want to change families around? Do you want to see God do something profound? Oh, I choose. I choose. And I know what your heart is. I can sense it. David, out in the field being fought by the lion, refers to himself as God's anointed. It's interesting because when you study the process of David, the king, before he took the throne, there were battles that had to be fought. There were internal and external elements that had to be conquered so that he could be defined, so that he could stand in authority. When David referred to himself as being anointed, though being under attack, the word there in its original context means to be cut out as to be chiseled out of stone fit to hold specific grip David was anointed but he was going through something early on in his life and ministry and the church is anointed but God is fitting us and there's some chiseling going on in our personal lives and in the corporate church world because God is trying to fit a grip so that he can hold the church massively in his hand and accomplish what he is getting ready to accomplish but the process of being anointed before it's ever about oil it's always about being hewed out before it's ever about resurrection it's always about being cut out and so God has allowed the church over the last several years to go through divisions and go through frustrations and go through agony and hell said I'm taking her out but God said no I'm setting her up. I'm getting her ready. Y'all need to hear me this morning because there's somebody in this house whom hell has said, I'm taking them out. And God is saying, no, I'm setting them up. I am preparing. Oh, I feel a hiccup-a-hock-a-bahoa fixing to get loose in here. And y'all will have to excuse me for a minute if I make myself at home. When you're homely, that's easy to do. Right? <laughs> Transitions can leave us vulnerable, uneasy. You ever ask God, what are you doing? As if he didn't know. Our prayer, our prayer services turn into counseling sessions. And don't forget, and don't forget. And by the way, you said, <laughs> God's looking for a covenant partner to latch arms with him. He doesn't need necessarily always to be reminded. And he certainly doesn't need to be instructed. You should have done it this way instead of done it that way. He's looking for covenant partners that he's getting ready to lock arms with. And he's getting ready to do something powerful. There's countless across this nation and other regions in this country that have fallen by the wayside at such an opportunity. Many among us that the enemy would try to take out and absolutely destroy. But before you disqualify yourself, comparing yourself to other people and other places and other times as we are so pressured to do in this season, let me refer you to the word and the plan and the power of God Almighty. God has a way of qualifying his people. God has a way of preparing his church. God has a way of setting things in order. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. But God, God has a way. And when he is finished, we're going to come out and everything's going to be all right. I wish I could get you to tell your neighbor, everything's going to be all right. I don't care what's going on. Everything's going to be all right. I don't care what the doctor said. Mm. Everything's going to be all right. I don't care what, what, what's reading at the bank account. Everything's going to be all right. We exalt men who have amassed wealth and fame and notoriety and, and education. We exalt those kind of people in this day and time an hour, and, and we think that's how people are qualified. 
That's not how God qualifies people. I appreciate good education. I respect positions and titles and all that stuff. But that kind of stuff does not qualify men and women before God. See, it's too often we're led to believe that a person's greatness is defined by their social standing. By their title or their material possession. But God is more interested in what we don't have than what we do have. God is more interested in where we can't than where we can. Let me tell you what made me a preacher because I didn't come out of a preacher's household. I came out of a heathen's household and I'm still dealing with those crazy people. Let me tell you what makes a preacher. It's not what I can because I wasn't born in a preacher's house. They're still getting my kinfolk out of prison. Are you hearing me? I'll tell you what makes a preacher. You call your brethren and the Bible said God does not choose the wise. He does not choose the noble. He does not choose the mighty. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for the frail. He's looking for the feeble who will stand before him and say, God, I have nothing but willingness and need to offer for you I wish I could get some church folk to shout to God for just a moment the very thing you feel like disqualifies you is probably the thing that qualifies you the very thing you feel like is the thing that took you out is probably the thing that's going to put you in now I see angels ministering here this morning. I sense the power of the almighty God. One thing I may not be as a good preacher, but I sure can connect good to a moment. And I know when God's working. Oh, and y'all have to excuse me because when I start doing my little hickabahockabaho and all that other stuff. God operates through what scholars call the law of of indirection the law of indirection is that a positive is accomplished or stated by a declarative negative the law of indirection you want to gain God says give and it shall be given give he that loses his life will find his life God accomplishes a positive by a negative now we're not comfortable with that because we have this thing called ego and it's going to get quiet here for just a second i'm going to like plow right through it because we don't like people to think there's anything wrong with us honey there's everything wrong with us if if the veil of grace was moved from this house it'd be the ugliest place in town right but thank god for grace Y'all wouldn't let me take this pulpit. Y'all wouldn't let me take this pulpit if you knew what kind of a background I came from, for heaven's sake. But you don't see me. You see Jesus. A negative accomplishes a positive. You lose in God's kingdom. <laughs> you actually gain. You're weak in God's kingdom. You're actually strong. He said, man, God, there's an army of thousands of men coming against us. And God says, hey, get in. Let's whittle this thing to about 300. What are you doing? I know exactly what I'm doing. Somebody lift your hand and say, thank God. We get embarrassed by life scars. They make special makeup for that. Because people are embarrassed by their scars. They want to hide their scars because they don't want people to know they're not perfect. It was a shock of my life the day I found out I wasn't perfect. And I mean, it was just one time, but hey, it was enough. It was all I could handle, right? The shock of our life is we don't have it together. So because we don't and we compare ourselves by earthly standard we hide the scars but God said in prophetic vision in the hereafter that when he entered into eternity and would be standing there for his kins and brethren to be walking through they would ask him 
What are these scars in your hands? You understand he can get back from the dead? You understand that he can raise lame people up? That eternity removes tears and weeping and sorrow, but eternity will not remove scars. Amazing. Why? Because God says scars are like a diploma handed you on graduation day. They say something. He's been through it, but he's made it. She suffered, but she got back up. This is why the prophet in the Old Testament said, Rejoice not against me, my enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Thank God for Abraham. And Isaac and Jacob and Peter and James and John. But the Lord said the glory of the latter will be greater than anything old Abe's ever seen. We have come through. And what we come through at the end of all ages will declare the church at its highest pinnacle. And its greatest moment of power. And God is going to choose a bunch of weak, beggarly, feeble, messed up individuals. It's quiet because I'm not being complimentary. You want me to speak to who you think you are. Hey, somebody asked me one time, I do sessions, and we're talking about getting ready for traveling overseas. How do you cast out devils? All right, I'm going to do a session on casting out devils. It was packed. It was awesome. All right, step number one, everybody, get your mirror out, because I asked him to bring a mirror. When cast out devils, yes, get your mirror out and hold it up right in front of you. Okay, what next? Look at what's in the mirror, because that's your devil. And when you can get past that thing, you can conquer anything in the world. It's true. It's, I hate it. I, I hate it, but it's true. God, get me out of the way so you can do something for heaven's sakes. There's so many things that God has done and you're not aware of it. Scars are qualification factors. Some of y'all got scars, whether they're internal or external. These are qualification marks. They are the diploma. You know, the amazing thing is, the Apostle Paul was a pretty highly educated individual. He was, he was past trilingual. The guy could speak like eight different languages. Studied at two different schools. Had at least three or four doctorates. He was highly educated. He went to the church at Galatia. And he, if he was to do it in modern times, he had never actually been to the church. So he had sent a letter on ahead. Uh, having not connected with them in a while, he sent a letter ahead. Now, if he's going to do it like I, you or I would, he would send a letter ahead with credentials, mile long. Now, I've been to here, and I've been to there, and I've accomplished this, and I have awards, and I have just, just letting you know, in all humility, you know, just letting you know the great things that I have accomplished, but with the help of the Lord. Uh, he could have done that. He didn't do that. He didn't send a letter to try to qualify himself. He did, however, say this. He, he, he's introducing himself to him. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been beaten several and left for dead. I've gone without food. I've gone without water. I've been rejected by my friends. My own kinsmen and country folk have left me. That's what I have to offer. And in case you don't get it he makes this final statement and he says i profess by your rejoicing dear brethren but i bear in my body the marks 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you saying, Paul? You could look at my credentials and they might speak highly of me. But I'll tell you what gives me a pulpit to preach in. The things I've been through and the scars I've got on my life. The winds that blow against me are what define me. The winds that blow against the church and the things that the enemy has tried to do in the past time to destroy the work of God. God is getting ready to lift the cover off of it and he's going to reveal apostolic ministry in its highest form and power and you, you, you are going to be a partaker of it on the front line. You've been praying for it. You've been asking for it. You've been seeking for it and God said the time is now. Oh, somebody give God praise and glory. Paul didn't come to this naturally. He didn't naturally gravitate toward that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he had an infirmity of which he was highly embarrassed. He wrestled within his ego. He went to the Lord on three notable occasions. Probably several hundred occasions. You can imagine it went something like this. Now God, I've got this problem and, and, and people can't see that. I, I've got this situation and you need to take care of it. Can you see him fasting and praying? Believe in God. Oh, God's going to deliver me. God does it. Now God, you've got to do this because if I'm going to preach, I've got to look good. If, if I'm going to do I've got to look good. I need to show you off. And God's on the third time. I'm going to paraphrase, but in modern language, this is how it went, okay? So just bear with me. Three times, fasted, prayed, God, you've got to get rid of this thing. And God finally says, Paul, give it a rest. Keep your mouth closed. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is perfected in your weakness. If you want to hear it in daddy's terms, if it wasn't for what was wrong with you, Paul, I couldn't do anything right with you. So get over it. Get up and get on with it. Somebody in this house, hell tried to disqualify you. You need to point your finger right in hell's face and say, I'm tired of the accusation and I'm not living according to what I did wrong because what I did wrong helped God to define what was right. Somebody feel what I'm feeling. Is this the microphone pastor uses? It must have anointing on it or something. Blame it on him, okay? I love him. Woo! God. Then was Jesus led. Watch. Matthew 4. Then was the Son of Man, the flesh of God, led into the wilderness to be tested of the devil for 40 days. That's Bible. The Spirit brought the flesh into captivity for 40 days and placed it at the mercy of his adversary. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way possible that could be tempted during that time, every main component of humanity. And every time that the temptation ensued, he brought a resolution. It is written. In other words, there's a plan you're forgetting about. But I love the close of that text. At the last trial, the devil left him. And the Bible said angels came and ministered to him. Those are the angels I see and sense in this house today. 
hear me because somebody's fixing to graduate God is fixing to graduate this church body and in the course of doing so he's going to manifest some powerful and mighty things it was at graduation that the devil left him and angels came and ministered period and the next verse said and from that time Jesus began to preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand I love how the word is false in that particular text he went through hell and back for 40 days and 40 nights and then the Bible said from that God made a preacher out of the man there's just some things that are inside of you that you don't know about until the contrary winds begin to blow and resistance begins to make a mark you feel like the enemy is about to take you out instead God is getting ready to define you so stop weeping and stop complaining it's quiet you must be like me stop weeping and groaning and complaining we don't have enough we don't have enough if I if I was raised in that house I could have been a preacher but I didn't have that privilege if I was born on this side of town I could have get up and be the son of daughter of God because honey he says you're gonna do well and it doesn't have anything to do with what side of town you were born on or what family you were born into or what you lack educationally. God! Let the wind blow. Let conflict rage. Contrary winds define a church and it has defined and honored the faithfulness of men like Bishop Buller and others who have stood for days and hours and months and years and decades. The contrary winds these men and women stood against it looked like at some points there would be nothing left of it. But God says thank you for standing because I'm fixing to introduce a church to this region it's never seen in history. got just a couple minutes is that all right thank you thank you I always wait for that person that says take your time and uh, I'm like honey I'm tired <laughs> Martha it might look like Lazarus is dead so Jesus sits his disciples down he says let me educate you fellers He's not dead. He's just sleeping. There's, there's some anointings. And there's some things that in your life and in this region looked like they were dead. But God says, let me educate you. They're not dead. They're just sleeping. In, in biblical matter, sleep means rest until revelation dead means it's over with but when Jesus Christ came he said I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me even if it looks like death it shall live Tell somebody next to you, it ain't dead. It's just sleeping. It ain't dead. That dream I had, it ain't dead. It's just sleeping. That prayer I prayed, it ain't dead. It's just sleeping. That prophecy spoken over this church decades ago, spoken over this region, it ain't dead. It's just sleeping. It's just waiting. Oh, I feel God. I feel God. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. Come on. I'm trying to get this thing to the ground. God have mercy. Come on, Samson. You're on your way to see your girlfriend. 
Everything looks all right. And a lion came against him. And the Spirit of the Lord moved on him. And he tore that lion like a wet sack. Tore that thing, left it for nothing. Came back, went ahead, went on his date and got a thing arranged. He's coming back to have a meeting with mom and dad. And on the way back, man, I remember that lion. There it is. Same pathway laid off in the bush. Boy, I remember that battle. Wait a minute. There's something humming on the inside. He walks over and reaches his hand in there. And I will be if there is not a beehive in there. And that's some of the sweetest honey I've ever tasted. He took it home to his mother. And she said, well, honey, what flea market did you get this from? This is good. He said, I'm not going to tell you where I got it from, but it's sweet. See, you don't have to know the whole story. You just need to know that what you're partaking of costs something. Old songwriter wrote several years ago, Brother Williams, you, you might remember this. If you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, you'd know the reason why. I love him so. Now you can take this world and its wealth and riches. I've got to serve him. It's my desire to serve him. Y'all are partaking of sweetness. And some of you young people get to partake of sweetness of battles that have gone on over the last few years and several decades. It's sweet. you got no idea what it costs to purchase it. And you got no idea what these precious men and women of God have been through. And honey, when you get up in just a moment and shout your victory, the whole world might look at you like you're crazy but they weren't there for the battle they weren't there for the lion they weren't there for the fire they weren't there for the flood out of the eater came forth the sweet that what doesn't kill you does make you better you ought to just lift your hands and thank God he didn't let me be taken out he didn't let me be taken out he's kept me he's kept me how much time do I have? I got uh, three. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. Who will give me two? Give me two. Give me three. Give me. Now, I thought this was crazy when I got into church and I read the psalmist say, the punishment you gave me was the best thing you could have ever done for me, God. That's Bible. The punishment you gave me was the best thing for me. And, and I'm looking at that like, these people are masochists. I mean, this is insane. The, this is the best thing for me well now that I know what I know oh praise God but but we're church folk and we like a good resurrection and we like to hear about the glory and the power and the wonder and the anointing and watch all these things sometimes God has used me the most and the mightiest I've been so st sick I could hardly stand up and laying hands on people and they're falling over getting healed left and right and I'd have somebody help me to the pulpit now, what kind of sense does that make? T.W. Barnes passed away a few years ago. Great prophet, great man of God. Had glasses so thick, man, you could look at Mars from right to center. But he'd pray for people and they would receive their sight. And he'd pray for people and they'd raise up. I don't get that stuff. It doesn't make sense to me because I can't process it in my postmodern era. And the way that we process things, I can't process it. And I don't understand it. I just like the resurrection and the wow and the juking and the jive. And I, do, I, I can process all that because it looks good and it feels good. But I don't get it when I have to go through things. You can't have a resurrection unless it is preceded by, preceded by a crucifixion. You can never have a resurrection without first a crucifixion. Something's got to die before something divine can live. We got to get that. We got to be okay with that. Careful. When you pray, I want the power of God. I want the power of God to move. I want to see dead people get up. Well, you could be one of them. <laughs> On a side note, I was preaching this church, and for heaven's sake, I don't know how they existed as long as they did, but they were just not connecting well with the presence of the Lord. I told them we'd seen people raised from the dead in other places and whatever, and they're like, awesome. I said, would y'all like to see this morning? We would. I said, then let's all stand. And uh, they didn't think that was very funny. But man, it was like a mass resurrection. 
Praise God. And moving onward. We, we love the power of God. You ever hear, you ever talk about, and we hear about the right hand of God, the, oh, the power and the glory of God and His might, and I'm feeling it kind of a thing. We love that because us church folk, we're junkies on that stuff. But you ever hear about the left hand of God? It's only mentioned like three times in Scripture. There's a reason for that. It's not a popular subject. Job, he was the first one that mentioned it. And he said, I don't understand. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, I don't understand what's going on. I'm going through something in my life. It's overwhelming. And, and I go forward, and I can't see you there. And I go backward, and I still can't figure out what's going on. But on the left hand, where I know you're working. And then he moves from left-hand theology. He says, now I know when it's over with, I'm going to come forth pure as gold. But the interesting thing is that he notes this, and the law of first mention provides for it, that he notes that before you move to the right and the pure of gold, you are in the left hand of God. The left hand of God is given to that time where God is working on you. And it doesn't feel good, and it doesn't look good, and, and it's painful, and it's brutal, but you're in the left hand of God, but you are in the hand of God. Think about it. He knows what he's doing. Another time it's mentioned in the, uh, the book of Solomon's song. You ever read that? It's like a Harlequin romance novel. It's, it's, it is an ancient romance novel. It's a story between the church and his bride. And there are these interventions and these wordage that are just absolutely amazing. Some of them like you can't read uh, the way they need to be read in mixed company without really understanding what is being said there. But one time, the bride's talking about him. She said, he's holding my head, cradling my head in his left hand. Now, honey, why did you think it was necessary to mention that? Solomon, why, why holding? Because the bride is getting this revelation. He's holding my head, which the head, in case you forgot, contains for most people that process, processing department, the thought processing department. Not everybody, but for most people. And the head. So is it coincidental then that when they crucify Jesus, they crucify him on the hill of the skull? So it seemed like, and maybe you didn't know this, God. So uh, let's, let's help you with this. But boy, what a coincidence. It's almost like you're saying, if you can kill it here, you can understand it here. I, almost like that. So he's cradling my head in his left hand. He's trying to fix my thinking so that I don't walk around like a poor little old me and my daddy put my diapers on too tight and I just, get, and just gave him a bad background and can't ever do any better. And listen, and you, you're not going to make it very far like that. I'm trying to fix your thinking. You are the head and not the tail. I have allowed the wind to blow because it's making somebody out of you and I'm going to reveal you. It's graduation day, man. Left hand of God. It's where he fixed. I have a theory. Probably when he took Jeremiah to the house of the potter and the pottery was marred in the hands. You ever known God to mess up purposefully? I bet he was using his left hand. Maybe. Maybe. And said, I'm not messing you up. I'm making you better. Because when I'm done here, I'm going to hand it over to my right hand. And when I get you in my right hand, no height, no depth, no power, no principality, no angel, no other creature will be able to separate you from my love and my power. Nothing will be impossible to them. Nothing will be impossible to them. Let the winds blow. Stand with me if you will. And thank you for letting me take a couple of extra minutes. I need the anointing. I need the power of God. I need the approval of God, the unction of God. It's really what anointing is. It's like liquid approval. It's liquid sanction, if you please. I need the anointing, God. And God says, okay, you want the oil? Let me take you to the press.
the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of the press, the, the mighty God is going to be revealed that night. And he's going to be revealed in the midst of pressure. The pressure was so brutal and so heavy in those last several hours preceding the crucifixion and the ultimate process. It was heavy, but it was Gethsemane. And everybody said with me, it was necessary. If you want the oil to flow, the pressure is necessary. The pressure revealed the oil. And the hour revealed the man. I can imagine what God is doing. Tell your neighbor, it's okay that you're going through things. Say, it's okay that I'm not okay. Practice that. It's okay, it's okay that I don't have, I'm OCD, okay, and I have a really hard time doing that. Please do it with me. It's okay that I'm not okay. Because God has a plan and He's working some things out. They're at the Last Supper. They're sitting down, and typically at the Last Supper, at the Paschal meal, they pronounce an ultimate blessing, the rabbis say, and the, at the fourth cup. Now, they bless every cup, and they break the bread, and he blessed it. But there's a cup that is called the cup. It's like uh, the, the cup of Elijah. It's the cup of blessing. It was typically the fourth cup. So even at that time in history when Jesus sat down with his disciples, they say at that point in time they were partaking of the fourth cup. That was supposed to be the blessing. But when you read the Synoptic Gospels, you can see clearly they've taken three, but it doesn't appear at the Paschal meal that they've taken four. Like, there you go, you're messed up again. And you've missed it. They didn't take the fourth cup, didn't bless the cup, and then you go to Gethsemane. And you hear him crawl off in the distance and crumble under the weight. And you hear the flesh crying out. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Everybody say, there's the fourth cup. See, the, the cup that sent him into his ultimate glory and identity was not a cup at a dinner where they're eating and happy and singing and having a great time. It was a cup revealed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it revealed a few days later the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of whom when he came out victoriously from the grave said, I've come forth and all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Both dimensions are taken care of. So here you are today and with your hands lifted. I only know a little bit about the corporate church in, in this region. I know, the only thing I do know about this particular church is sweet brother and sister Buller and, and, and sweet pastor and sister Urshan and our, our friends, uh, the Duvalls and brother and sister Enos and, and, and a few folks. But I don't know the history. I don't know really what brings us corporately to this moment this morning in this house and what brings us corporately to the moment that we'll be sharing together tonight the reason I don't know is because it has to do with individual history I don't know where you are I don't know what you've been through in your life but I do know that the Holy Ghost anointed me and prompted me today that what you're going through is not going to take you out it's going to define and manifest the purpose and the power of God. And for somebody here, it's graduation day. With your hands lifted. If you're ready to graduate, if, if you feel it, you sense it, you need a touch from God as quickly as you can. Come out from where you're sitting. Come in this altar area. I'd like to pray with you along with our ministry team here. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody whose body, mind, family, spirit has been physically or emotionally or spiritually pummeled by the work of the adversary and by fears and by destruction. Let the winds blow, but today, God, you have manifest your glory and your power and your might. Rabotatayanda, 
Come on, somebody. If you got a friend up here, come pray with them. <laughs> Father, right now, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ. Touch somebody, pray with them, touch somebody.
What you 